It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from State Farm, here with good news and even better news. The good news? State Farm has new lower car insurance rates. The even better news? That means you can now get the service and convenience of a local State Farm agent at surprisingly great rates. State Farm can help you save more cash and get the good neighbor service you deserve. Just talk to your local State Farm agent or visit statefarm.com to find out how much you can save on your car insurance. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You are Locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I'm Danny Lure, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. Yesterday's recording was on Klay Thompson's amazing game and the Warriors' win against the Pacers, but it's time to move on to a massive road trip that the Warriors have. They play five games, and originally I was going to do something else with this podcast. I was going to go on it on a different direction, and partially due to time and partially due to the specific timeline of these games, I decided it would be good to take a little bit and do a real preview of this because the one of the stories of this trip is just how fast these games are going to come. So they play Wednesday and then Thursday, so Clippers and then Jazz. Then they have one off day to travel to Memphis. Then they play Memphis and Minnesota back-to-back. And then they play New Orleans, so they have one off day there as well, which is a lot of work for the team. It's a lot of travel for them, and two back-to-backs, four and five nights, cumulative fatigue, everything like that. But also, in terms of the structure of the podcast, doing game reviews and talking in a more cursory way about maybe the game that's coming up didn't really feel like enough, especially considering some of these opponents have had changes in the last little bit and everything else. So instead of some of the other stuff, and I, of course, will tackle those issues as the situation presents itself, I wanted to give a little bit of background on all of the teams they're going to play. And so it starts Wednesday, big, big game against the Clippers. The Clippers are currently 16-6. and six. They are the they're third in the West because they've lost a couple games recently and behind the Spurs, behind the Warriors. Fifth in offense, first in defense, and they had this really rough three-game stretch, which pushed them out of the mix right now for the top pick for for the top seed. Sorry, and the challenge there was consistency. They blew. They played a really bad game against the Pacers and just lost that. But however, since then they had that huge win against Cleveland. Yeah, the Cavs' defense wasn't great, but the Clippers played excellently in that game. Their defense was strong, and they had a lot of things going for them. It was, I would say, their best performance of the year so far, and they've had some good ones. They also, between that and then they beat the Spurs, and they also have dominated the Blazers twice. So when they're on, the Clippers are an incredibly good team, and there's this big structural scheduling disadvantage for the Warriors in this. Yeah, they have an off day, and they didn't have much travel, so they have that. But the Warriors game on Wednesday is the only game the Clippers play between Saturday, between Sunday of, of this week and Saturday. So they have a couple days off before, a couple days off after. So that means if Doc and the Clippers really want this game, they can go full bore after it, and the Warriors have a game the next night. There are a couple of risk factors there. However, the first game of a back-to-back usually does not lead to that sort of a consequence that usually comes in the second end. One of the defining characteristics of the Clippers so far has been their defense. They've been excellent, switching substantially more than they have in the past, which has helped them a lot because they have players like Blake Griffin who 
aren't particularly great as a help defender, but he's versatile physically and he can defend guys that are smaller and guys that are a little bit bigger so they don't create as many seams and and switching is broadly speaking the best approach to take against this Warriors team, particularly if you have the personnel to handle them in most of those variations and the Clippers have have a pretty good shot at that. Not perfect, but pretty good. And they also have the benefit now that they're starting Luke Richard and Bamute that they have two forwards who are fairly similar in terms of build. Luke can guard threes and fours. Blake can guard fours and a little bit of threes. They can also switch and and hold their own for a little bit. DeAndre Jordan has also been switching. So their defense is working on that. They're also trying a lot harder. And as basic as it sounds, that is an incredibly part of an incredibly important part of defense, particularly in the regular season. I'm going to be interested in seeing a lot of different things from this game, especially considering it might be a Western Conference Finals preview. The most notable ones are if Steve Kerr uses Hacka on DeAndre Jordan. Considering the Clippers' offense is so dominant at points, that can really slow them down. There are real consequences to it because you're forcing your own offense to play in the half court all the time. The Warriors are an excellent transition offense, so there are real consequences to doing it. Kerr has not done it a ton in the past, but might want to also because it can get in Doc's head and a lot of other things. And so that will be something to watch. And along the DeAndre Jordan line, he has been good at switching, but in a in a situation where his man is just his assignment, so let's say they're not involved in the primary action of the play, he's still not comfortable stretching all the way out. It's very similar to Hassan Whiteside in that sense, where he's so good as a rim protector and so active and comfortable there that he doesn't like getting stretched out. That's actually something Memphis did with Marcus Gasol, who now has a three-point shot all of a sudden, pretty much. And the Warriors don't have that in their starting five and don't really have that with any of their other traditional centers except for maybe David West, who would be a fun matchup in this game if they went that way a little bit. But they do when they go to Draymond at center. And I don't know how much the Warriors will want to throw that out there, though the players are plenty rested considering no one had that heavy of a workload in the game against the Pacers. So lots to watch there. Also, whether the Warriors can exploit Luke Richard and Bob Mute's lack of offense. He's shooting corner threes relatively well, so leaving him is a little bit worse than it was, but you can have a single guy on him and it's not that big a deal. And also, whether Chris Paul can defend Stephen Curry without help, one of the defining other parts of this Clippers team is that they have been a great defense, but they don't have those kind of dominating defensive guards. Chris Paul's great. He's a different kind of great defensive guard, but they don't have the Danny Greens or anything like that. Their other guard is J.J. Redick or sometimes Jamal Crawford. Also, both these teams have struggled at times with their bench. The Clippers go pretty much with an all-offense unit. It's actually strangely entertaining. Raymond Felton, Austin Rivers, Jamal Crawford, when he's healthy, Wes Johnson, and former Warrior Mo Spates. They did really, really well at the beginning of the season, but have gotten worked a little bit since then. So if the Warriors going to their stagger can exploit that, particularly Kevin Durant, because they don't have anybody on that second unit who can do that. Really, the only guy is Luke. They'll probably put Wes Johnson on him, but I'm going to be watching that to see how that works out. So that's the first game. Tough scheduling, tough structure, good opponent. Even though the Clippers have lost at home and have had some weird losses, they are going to be up for this game. No no question, no hesitation. They fly straight from there to Salt Lake City to play the Jazz, a team that has played the Warriors tough for the entire career and the end of the Mark Jackson era. They've been inconsistent this year, but the only reason Utah has been inconsistent is because of health. They have 
faced a lot of issues already. Gordon Hayward missed the beginning of the season with a finger injury. George Hill has basically not played. He's been, I mean, he's not, hasn't played much. He's been excellent when he's been on the floor, but he hasn't played much. Derek Favors has been out for the last while. And so the Jazz are 14-9, eighth in offense, fifth in defense. When they've been largely healthy, not even fully healthy, because their best five guys, so that would be Hill, Der- uh, Rodney Hood, Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert. Those guys have only played in one game together. It was 12 minutes, and it's not going to be against the Warriors. Favors is still out. George Hill is questionable with a left big toe issue. I don't know exactly what that issue is. Utah's biggest problem against the Warriors is that George Hill is the antidote for a lot of what Steph Curry does well. He's big, he's strong, he works hard, and he's gotten a lot better offensively, so he'll make Curry work in that way. And you cannot, when they're starting five, hide Curry anywhere else because Rodney Hood and Gordon Hayward are even better. So that would be huge if he can play. He's questionable right now, so I wouldn't expect that but they don't have another game before then, and the Warriors will be on a back-to-back. Also, Utah has the second biggest structural home court advantage. That doesn't really take into account volume or anything like that. It's just because they play at the second highest altitude in the league, and like Denver, they're one of the only teams that has maintained a home court advantage regardless of team quality. So I know Kevin Pelton has done some work into this. That is something with Utah. They played the, they've had some really good games against the Warriors in Salt Lake City, also had some good ones against them at Oracle, and one part of the Jazz story right now is that when they're fully healthy, their defense has been amazing. I mean, they're fifth in defense, despite not being that way. But Nate Duncan brought this up when we did our 15 and 60 for Dunkton. They have three key defensive players. Rudy Gobert, one of the favorites for Defensive Player of the Year, Derek Favors, and George Hill. If they have all three of those guys, they're the best defense in the league or second best. If they have two of the three, they're still very good, somewhere in the top five to top 10 range. And when they're missing two of three or more, it really falls off. And so that could be either in the starting lineup, if those guys miss a lot of time, or in the second unit where they have Jeff Withy, but they don't have a, a whole lot else in terms of defensive talent They with Alec Burks out too, because this whole team is has, has enough guys hurt that it's, it's actually legitimately incredible that they've been as good as they have been. The current guess is that the, war, that the Warriors will face the Jazz having only one of those three guys. So that is a big advantage, especially because their replacements are imperfect. If Hill is out, they will probably start Dante Exum. Exum is interesting defensively, not great, but can't create much for himself. He's more of an off-ball guy. And then they have Shelvin Mack coming off the bench. One piece of their success recently since he got back from injury, Gordon Hayward. The Jazz have been 7-1 in their last eight. Hayward has averaged 27 points per game, 50% 50 from the field, 50% from three, 86% from the line, drawing 10 free throw attempts per game. Incredible. He could be a legitimate all-star, except that the West is so stacked that he's going to have a hard road there, but we'll see where everything stands in about two months. Then the Warriors have have a, not an off day, but a travel day because they have to get all the way to, to Memphis. And the Grizzlies are in an amazing position because Mike Conley got hurt five games ago, was in a game against Charlotte, which they ended up losing. And the expectation justifiably was that they were going to fall off because they don't have that much surrounding talent. Their backups to Conley, it was a storyline that I talked about a lot on various podcasts before the season. They got a lot better in other ways, like getting Chandler Parsons, who was also hurt, but they didn't really work much at the backups to, to Conley. They have Andrew Harrison and they have Wade Baldwin. Baldwin's a rookie, went to Vanderbilt, still not really a primary ball handler more of a you know more of an off-ball guy who can run an offense when you absolutely have to and 
they've gone four and four and one in their in their five games since Conley got hurt. It has to be noted that a lot of those games were against shaky opponents, Lakers, the Maverick, the Magic, and they also beat the Pelicans, which was a weird, weird game that they won in overtime. And three of those four games have come at home. But wins are wins. They are fifteen and eight. They are 26th in offense, 4th in defense. That sounds just like a Memphis team, even though their personnel is different. And they play Thursday against Portland, so they will have the same amount of rest as the Warriors, but they won't be on a back-to-back like the Warriors are. So that is a, a big advantage. Of course, they're also playing at home. Marcus Gasol is having another great season. Zach Randolph just got back from taking time off. His mother passed away. He missed six games, came back, got a, a really nice reaction tonight, and they ended up winning that game. They don't have a ton of depth right now because a ton of other guys are hurt. James Ennis was having a nice season. He's hurt. Chandler Parsons is hurt. Vince Carter is hurt. I don't know if Vince is going to be back. He might be back by that point. But they play really hard. David Fisdell, their new coach. And and they're doing more offensively than they did. They are 26, but that's more a situation of talent rather than anything else. And they've been doing well against these more limited teams, but I want to see how they do against Portland because that's the game between them. They'll be going on basically the same time as the Jazz game because Portland has a great offensive backcourt, and that will be the first time this Memphis group without Conley has faced a team like that. It'll be a nice calibrator for it. Tony Allen is still out there, and who they put Tony Allen on against the Warriors will be a big story because they have two real decision makers. I'm guessing they're going to try him on KD, but it will also probably depend on who is healthy. So that's another big game travel day, everything like that. I'm fascinated to see how it works out. It's definitely closer than the last time the Warriors played Memphis when they actually played them twice in really close succession at the end of last year on the way to 73, getting that big win in Memphis against a skeleton crew and then the closing game of the regular season finishing out 73 with a game that actually was a a weird history thing. I had completely forgotten about this, but Curry's Curry had 46 points in that game against Memphis and he got pulled because they had the game was basically won they were going to get 73 that Curry game was the most points in modern NBA since I think 83 in NBA history when the player did not play in 30 minutes before Clay's 60 point game yesterday so warrior beating warrior for a, a branch of history but what clay did was it was entirely different i mean that was that was something but i hadn't i hadn't even considered that i covered that game i did a long podcast about that game with nate and i didn't even remember that so just goes to show how crazy last year was that something that notable can fall through the cracks they go from memphis straight to minneapolis flying largely north a little bit west the wolves have been arguably this season's largest disappointment. They're 6-15 and now after losing to the Spurs tonight. They have two games before the Warriors get there. They play at Toronto and Detroit, so they could very, and, and home against Detroit. They're probably going to be 7-16 and or 6-17, and both of which are big problems for them. The biggest surprise in the disappointment for them has been they added Coach Tom Thibodeau. Everybody assumed they have all these athletic guys, that their defense was going to improve by leaps and bounds just right away, going from Sam Mitchell to Tibbs. They're sent in offense, which is great, especially when their guys are still developing in that end. They're 22nd in defense, and they've only won two of their last 10. One of those wins was a shocking, shouldn't-have-happened comeback against Charlotte, where Charlotte had a seven-point lead with about a minute to go and just completely blew it. They had a turnover in their own possession. They didn't really defend well. They let Wiggins have a three when they shouldn't have and everything like that. So they got kind of a gift in that way, though they made the most of it. And that's one of their two wins in the last 10 games. 
Also, one of the justifiable ways if Minnesota was bad at defense would be if they were playing small or playing unconventional, but Tibbs has chosen to play Gorgie Jang with Carl Anthony Towns, which, as was the case tonight, gives opponents of, of the Wolves a lot of outs because they can put their best defensive big on Carl Anthony Towns, and then they can put their worst one on Jang, and then they can make it work on the other end. Draymond Green did not play when the Warriors beat the Wolves at Oracle. That was a strange game because both teams were on the second end of a back-to-back. Draymond was out due to the ankle issue that had happened the night before. I believe that game was against the Lakers. Warriors still won 115-102, a game that I had marked a little bit, but they still won comfortably. Not a not a good night from what I recall from anybody in particular. Carl Anthony Towns is still having a really strong offensive year, 23.6 PER, but he hasn't improved as much defensively. And they've been playing him more defensively at power forward than center. I presume his base assignment will be on Draymond Green. He is good at switching. It's part of how the Wolves beat the Warriors at Oracle last year. But Jang isn't as good at that, which is why he's getting more of the traditional fives. He'll probably be on Zaza and JaVale and whoever else they throw in those those lineups. The Wolves bench has been a big disappointment so far. They have some talent. Chris Dunn, Shabazz Muhammad when he gets to play, Cole Aldrich, whoever they kind of hold out from other things. But they need reliable point guard play, and they haven't really gotten that this year. Tyus Jones has had a couple flashes. Dunn has had a couple flashes, but they're turning the ball over way too much. The Warriors might be able to make up some ground there, especially because Minnesota doesn't have much in the way of perimeter defenders, particularly coming off the bench. And if the Warriors run their standard stagger and Tibbs doesn't adjust, that means they'll be playing somebody who can't defend on Kevin Durant. That'll be a big matchup for the Warriors to exploit end of the first, but more specifically the beginning of the second quarter. And Cole Aldrich sets really good screens, but he's not great at defending in space. He's probably going to be on the floor when David West is playing center. So the Warriors, if they, unless Tibbs maneuvers and changes things from where they were, that could be a, a huge advantage for them that wouldn't really see coming. But the Warriors will be on a back-to-back. The Timberwolves will not. The Warriors will have to travel. The Wolves will not because their game before is at home. And Durant guarding Andrew Wiggins and how Wiggins reacts to it will be key. Wiggins has had some huge offensive games. I still don't completely trust his jump shot, but he's made it. He can shoot them in games. He can shoot them out of games. He can run pick and roll. And when he runs pick and roll, it almost always leads to his own shot. It's kind of weirdly parallel to a guy like Derrick Rose in that way, where he is talented as a passer. Wiggins is getting better. Wiggins isn't as good as Rose as a passer, obviously. But when he runs that kind of an action, he's looking for himself at this point. Eventually, he'll probably open his horizons, take his blinders off. But when you're as young as he is, when you're really getting that part of your game, and that's why it's so frustrating when they do that with Towns on the floor. I would love to see them run more of a stagger and when you're going to give Wiggins his touches. But they're not doing that, so the Warriors don't have to worry about as much. But Wiggins can shoot them in games, he can shoot them out of games, and with Durant's length on him, it might work relatively well. And if they try to, if they Warriors try to switch it, they should generally have reasonable advantages there. Then the Warriors have one off day and play another familiar opponent, the New Orleans Pelicans. The Pelicans are a lot better now than when they, than earlier in the season. The biggest difference being they got Drew Holiday back, but they're still 7-15. They have three games between now and when the Warriors play them home against the Sixers, at, or at the at the Clippers, and then at the Suns before coming home. They have the same amount of rest as the Warriors, and they have to travel, but it's a home game. They're 24th in offense, 13th in defense. 
Anthony Davis has been predictably great, though he is great more in the offensive categories than the defensive, but his defensive numbers are fine too, especially considering the 13th in that category and still bad on offense. Davis is number one in PER, number 13 in RPM, leading the league in blocks, one of the leading scorers in the league. And stop me if you've heard this before, the Pelicans just don't have enough around him. They have certain players that are good, but not enough consistent offensive threats. They drafted Buddy Heald to be that. Hasn't really panned out. They signed Langston Galloway. They signed Atuan Moore. They signed Solomon Hill. And those guys are all doing, you know, variants of okay, but not enough to put fear in the hearts of a a, a talented opponent. So they're going to need Drew Holiday to do well. Drew has defended the Warriors, particularly Steph Curry, well in the past. I specifically have asked Drew about that. I think it was back when he was on the Sixers. He did a great job on Curry once. One of the better games I can remember, but that was pre-MVP Steph because Drew's been in New Orleans for a, a number of years now. And New Orleans does something very different than a lot of teams that play big because they start AD with Omer Ashik, but they often close small with now Solomon Hill at the four or somebody else like that because Dante Cunningham is out with a broken leg. And what that is, is there's a choice, broadly speaking, in the NBA between pushing on the offensive glass or falling back in transition defense. A lot of teams that are bigger have consistently focused on offensive rebounds they get a couple more the Cavs are a team like this but New Orleans has gone in the opposite direction they have moved almost entirely to transition defense they are by far the worst offensive rebounding team in the league they're more than a percent behind anyone else I think Charlotte is is number two from their second worst and Charlotte makes exactly the same choice they get back in defense last I saw New Orleans was second best at restricting the opponent transition frequency, and that will be a defining characteristic of their game against the Warriors because if it gets a lot in transition, the Warriors will just run them into the ground. But if they can hold back there, it might help a lot because their half-court defense is pretty stout. You know, they can do that. The Warriors can get a little bit stagnant, though they didn't against Indiana. And that is a choice that I'm interested in seeing how other teams make in the future. It's also something the Clippers do a fair amount. You would expect them to crash the boards harder than they do, but they've been getting back in transition and their defensive results speak for themselves. So a huge road trip. I'm recording this on Tuesday night at about this time, a week from now, the Warriors will have played five games. They've only had two off days, which are both travel. And we'll know a lot more about where this team is not in the scope of the league, but in terms of the race for the number one overall seed and theoretically if they made any push towards history. I don't expect the Warriors to go after 73 at all unless they happen to be sitting there towards the end of it. But if they go 5-0 and here, including two back-to-backs against dangerous opponents in the second game, even if they've gotten a little, some of them have gotten a little less dangerous due to injuries and specific circumstances. It would be a huge stretch for this team and what they're going through. So I will definitely have game recaps of the Jazz game and the Clippers game and still debating exactly what I want to do with the back-to-back in in Memphis and Minnesota. It'll, It'll depend. Might do a short one. I'm, of course, going to be watching, writing for The Athletic, everything else. And 
Nate Duncan and I are doing the Twitter NBA show tomorrow, so you can watch you can watch the game on ESPN. You can just flip over to us on Periscope. It's through Nate's Periscope, which is Nate Duncan NBA, and we will be giving our own analysis live. It's not us prepping. Well, I mean, we are prepping, but it's not us like, you know, working through our notes and making sure we have everything ironed out. We do that. We also take questions. You can use the hashtag Twitter NBA show. And and in the postgame show, which will be after Warriors Clippers because it's the second game, we will also take some Periscope questions. So if, you, if you're hanging out live, you can ask us some questions and we will answer some of those. And of course, we'll answer Twitter questions. And if they're good, depending on volume, we, we generally get to a lot of stuff. Nate and I both talk fast. And if you ever want to hear us at 1x speed as opposed to 1.5 or however you listen to these podcasts, it's a great way to do it. And you can follow follow me on Twitter. I'll, of course, retweet out when it happens, but it's generally a minute or two into the halftime. If you have any feedback on this show, good, bad, and different, you can reach out to me, NBA at gmail.com. I read everything, respond to what I can, and also incorporate a fair amount of that on the podcast. I try to give attribution when I can. And if you specifically want or do not want that, if you make a suggestion that you want on the show, please let me know because, of course, I will always abide by your wishes. And if you don't, then I will make my own professional judgment on it. So that is where the show is going over the next little bit. If you want to support the show, you can leave a rating, leave a review, and whatever podcast player you use. You can also subscribe download every episode and give a shout out to our sponsors. We have SeatGeek with the promo code LO Warriors. You get $20 off your first purchase and MacWeldon.com with the promo code LOW. I'll be talking more about them either on Wednesday or Thursday, still figuring out when I want to do that. But it's a very exciting stretch. I'm going to be learning a lot and I hope I hope that you will be too because these are good games and the timing will be, I don't know, it's a little bit more reasonable as long as depending on how it lines up with your work schedule because the way that they're traveling, you know, it's a night game. It, the, the games that are in closer to the Pacific time zone are on the, on the weekdays and then the weekend games are a little bit earlier. So that should work out relatively nicely. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. San Jose Sharks hockey is back, and we've got you covered five days a week at Locked On Sharks. I'm Kyle Demetrius. I'm J.D. Young. I'm Eric Fowle. Together, we make sure you're never without your Sharks programming. Will the Sharks make a trade for a right winger? We got you covered. Will Eric Carlson's groin hold up for the entire season? We've got you covered. Whatever happens with Team Teal every day, we've got you covered at Locked On Sharks five days a week on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.